Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Podcast Daily. It is a Tuesday, and the Buckeyes are getting ready for another game week, another media day availability uh, with Ryan Day. Uh, some, see how many players show up, and at least one coach, I believe Perry Eliano, will be joining uh, us in the team room for some conversation on a Tuesday of a game week in the Woody Hayes Athletic Center. That's Bill Landis. I am Austin Ward. It's it's a Tuesday pre-press conference preview. What do you need to hear outside of another update about Jackson Smith and Jigba? Uh, I mean, I still want to hear. Yeah, I, I want <laughs> to know what, what's happening with him. Um, it doesn't seem to me like it's anything super, you know, concerning or long term. But they have they have some uh, a buffer here, I think, to kind of get him ready if if they need to. Um, I have a lot of questions uh, about, particularly about the offense. You know, that the defense was was really good. I, I think you know I didn't come out of that with a bunch of glaring questions about them. Just kind of curious to see them do it again. And I guess Arkansas State maybe is not the best gauge of that. Although they do have, I was looking some stuff up about them. They have quite a few Power Five guys on that roster, yeah. including Brian Sneed. But there's there's a handful on both sides of the ball. So I don't know. There's some talent there. Um, I'm very curious about the running back situation uh, more than I thought I would be, <laughs> frankly, coming coming out of that game. Uh, and it's not that Trevion Henderson played poorly. I, I don't I don't think that he did. Um, I just think Mayan Williams was be- a little better, and and maybe that's more even than I believe than maybe you believed. And I'm wondering if the staff believed <laughs> uh, coming coming into the opener so it's not like a controversy controversy because they have two really good ones but um maybe if they're thinking any differently about how that breakdown looks given how mayan ran against notre dame yeah you and berm brought this up on monday on the podcast daily sort of if there had been a fifth quarter what would have happened in this game because ohio state was starting to assert its will and i think in some ways mayan williams was the beneficiary of that because the offensive line really started leaning on Notre Dame, uh, moving the line of scrimmage in a way that they weren't earlier on. And I think that Ryan Day had also adjusted a little bit of the play calling. That's not to take anything away from Mayan Williams because he was he was making the most of that opportunity and running with some real reckless abandon and getting the pads down and being hard to tackle. So that's not uh, to diminish that in any way. Or Travion Henderson. I think there were parts of that game as well where Travion was also playing with so much physicality that it was coming at the expense of his health. Mm-hmm. Uh, he came out <laughs> after throwing that a pretty insane blitz pickup, and then he had to come to the sideline. And, and so that's that's a long-winded way of saying I think it could be much more even than I would have thought, and it could be more successful than I would have imagined, given the, my reticence to rotate running backs at Ohio State. Uh, but it's a benefit in that if Travion Henderson – does pick up some sort of issue. There's not a lot of leeway with the numbers on that Ohio State roster, but Mayan Williams looks like more than capable of being a starting running back pretty much anywhere in the country, including at Ohio State. The, the thing you want to avoid at all costs when you're doing something like that is is any kind of significant drop off with the with the second guy who comes in. Uh, we talked about that a lot with the defense at, at a couple of different positions and, and just how it was noticeable last year. Frankly, it was noticeable on Saturday night. A couple of times they, they brought in some different defensive linemen against yeah. Notre Dame. When you bring in Mayan, I mean, at the moment, I don't notice much of, of a drop-off. It's it's different, um, but they're equal styles or their styles are equally effective. So uh, as long as the job gets done, I suppose it doesn't matter who does it. And if, if the long-term benefit is – uh, again, you have like a healthier Trevion Henderson. 
you know, later in the year than maybe you had last year, then that I think that's a good thing as long as, as Trevion can, can come to terms with, with a life where maybe he's not getting the ball 20 times a game. I think if both guys can get it, you know, a, a dozen or so times a game, I think that could be really good for both of them. Yeah. The first question is still going to be to Ryan Day on Tuesday at noon about the status of Jackson Smith and Jigba. And I'll tell you right now that his answer is going to be, we expect him to play on Saturday. I don't think that that necessarily <laughs> means that he will. Uh, and in fact, yeah. there's probably uh, a case to be made that he shouldn't, even if he could. Uh, he tried to go. We know it's not serious because he kept sprinting down the sideline. He got on the exercise bike. Uh, clearly, there was something that wasn't right. Um, you know, We'll see exactly what the evaluations reveal a couple days out from that happening on Saturday night. Um, but I would be surprised even if Ryan Day or when Ryan Day says we're going to get him back to practice soon, we expect uh, that he could be available on Saturday. There's a key difference now on Ohio State's availability report. It's just because you're not listed on there doesn't mean that you're going to play, as Cameron Babb yes. can attest after Saturday. Um, they're starting to be a little – some shades of gray involved there, and I think that <laughs> – Jackson Smith and Jake Boat may well disappear from not be on the availability report, but still may not play on Saturday. Yeah, he might get the uh, was it Jordan Jordan Hancock Jordan Hancock and on, Cameron Bell, was not yeah. was not on the availability report. But then when you look down on the sideline during the game, he was wearing like sweatpants. <laughs> <laughs> they, they weren't even trying to hide the like. At least Julian Fleming was dressed and it just didn't have his helmet, and he was a game time decision who ultimately didn't play. Yeah, uh, yeah. Jordan Hancock, uh, I think, knew two weeks ago that he wasn't going to be playing in this game, but Ohio State didn't <laughs> put him on the availability report anyway. Uh, I think I think we might. I don't, I suppose there's value in that if you're playing Notre Dame. I don't know it's gamesmanship. Uh, how much gamesmanship do you need against Arkansas State? I, I think even even though that I, I I fully agree without knowing the exact nature of his injury, that doesn't look incredibly serious. Uh, I would be pretty surprised if Jackson played on Saturday. All right. What else do you need to know on a Tuesday afternoon? I wonder a little bit about Ryan Day's play calling philosophy sometimes, and and I don't. I feel like maybe this is the right time to, to have the conversation because there's a little bit of a lull in the schedule. We think for the next two weeks, like there are just times where he doesn't feel like where it doesn't feel like that. He trusts the run game enough. Um, and maybe is a little slow to adjust to the ebbs and flows of a game. Um, and, and it just felt like against Notre Dame that I, I don't know if it took some convincing or just, he just needed to see it a few more times, but I think it was pretty evident to everybody else watching the game. Like they, they did not run the ball probably as much as they should have early on in that game, especially in a world where they didn't have Jackson Smith and Jigba. And um, maybe these are conversations we haven't had with Ryan day before, but, but I'm a little curious now that we're removed from it. Maybe he'd be more willing to talk about it. Sort of what his mindset was going through that game without Jackson, seeing the passing game being a little wonky, and I, I even think after the game, he said himself, like, maybe we got away from the run a little early. Um, with the benefit of hindsight, I'd like to explore that with him a little more because I felt the same way watching the game. I'm trying to remember what point it was in the game. I, it must have been early in the th third quarter where we were talking in the press box. And I don't remember what exactly prompted it. It was like, is Ohio State not running the football well enough? Do they need to do something different? And I looked at the stats, and at that point, Mayan Williams was averaging five yards a carry and Travion was averaging 6.1. And I know that that's not the be all end all for evaluating things and they can be skewed by one or two long runs, but 
there was an effective running game already there, and Ohio State just wasn't trying it as much as they should. The other part of this, the way that that first half worked out and Notre Dame's success with one really long drive and uh, early three and outs and all that stuff for Ohio State, there weren't that many possessions in that half, and so we were dealing with a super small sample size. I think the only reason that we ask this question beyond just what happened on Saturday night is because we all covered the 2020 Big Ten Championship game against Northwestern, where if that adjustment had been made right off the bat, then Trey Sermon might have ran for a thousand yards in that game. I mean, it was like, <laughs> like there was no chance that Northwestern could stop him, and they they knew that that would be the case. Like that was what they chose to give up. They still just couldn't stop it. Uh, Notre Dame clearly, Marcus Freeman came in with a plan to to sit back in a little bit of a shell and not let C.J. Stroud beat them deep, and it just it's the same sort of deal that Northwestern used. And it took a while into that second half and certainly that drive in the fourth quarter where Ryan Day and the Buckeyes really committed to it. And then also the offensive line had started gaining more confidence and was mm-hmm. asserting itself more physically. And then you saw what happened there. And certainly uh, you look at 21 points and also pretty coincidentally, 22 points against Northwestern two years ago in that Big Ten championship game. Pretty seems like a common theme. It does, and you know they they won the game. And I guess when you're playing a game like that, that that might be all that matters. When it's a game of that magnitude, you're not necessarily look, looking for style points, but you also don't want to come away thinking that you know your head coach is is kind of devolving into some bad habits when stuff like that happens. And and I think you could rightfully feel that way after you know the game we just watched, the Northwestern game, like you mentioned. Um, I felt like it happened at times last year, even like the Minnesota game last year, the opener. With a with a brand new quarterback, it felt like they weren't committed as committed to the run as as they needed to be. Um, the one thing I'll say about about Saturday night's game, though, like it, Mayan and Trevion, I think we're doing a really good job of sort of making a lot out of a little because I, I don't think the offensive line was playing all that well in in the first half. They were pretty good in the second half and, and you know borderline great in the in the fourth quarter, um, but they weren't really leaning on Notre Dame in that same kind of way in the first half, and it wasn't it wasn't super clean, but. They were still getting the yards, like you said. I think at one point, like mine was like seven yards and Trevion was a five. Like it wasn't, and I don't believe they had a negative run for the entire game. So um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what kind of identity this Ohio State team is going to take on. I, obviously, with CJ and we presume a healthy Jackson sooner rather than later, they're still going to throw the ball a lot. But I, I wonder a little bit if the way they're able to finish that game out on Saturday might plant a little bit of a seed in Ryan Day's head about maybe this team can be not quite as pass heavy as it was last year. The other key injury situation, uh, or we don't know if it's an injury, I guess. Uh, you guys touched on it on Monday as well with Luke Lippler leaving in a boot. Not sure that we'll get a, a very definitive answer about that either, uh, at least as this week progresses. We'll see. Uh, would your guess, Bill, still be Matthew Jones moving to center if that need uh, presented itself? Or what do you think the shuffling might look like if they had to do it? Because, again, it's Arkansas State. We're probably going to see some different combinations anyway. That would be my guess. Matthew Jones moves to center. And I guess I, I meant to talk with Berm about this to kind of get his thoughts. But I'll, but I'll ask you, too. So when Matthew Jones had to leave the game for a second, Enoch Vimahi came in to play guard. But Josh Fryer was also wearing number 41. Like, he couldn't have come in and played guard wearing that number if they wanted to put him in there. Um, I guess they could have done a quick jersey swap. But knowing what I know about the tightness of football jerseys, I think that would be pretty difficult. Um <laughs> But like when you saw that, when you saw Enoch go into the game at that point, did you think to yourself, like, okay, there's the clarity. Enoch is the first guard in, and maybe Josh is the first tackle in? Or do you think there's more wiggle room there, provided Josh Fryer wears a normal lineman jersey? 
Yeah, I don't think that I actually got the clarity I wanted. The, the time that we saw that, right, that was in you know, Josh Fryer was in there for the the final touchdown, mm-hmm. and Enoch Vamahi come out. I thought like, well, if they gave Josh Fryer the forty one, to me that tells me he's the sixth offensive lineman, right. and I know he can play both guard and tackle. And I wonder if they're just like, well. We're in this situation. That's the personnel grouping. So now we need number seven to go in at guard, which is sort of where I think Enoch Vamahi is. So I, I thought we'd get some clarity out of a situation like that, but I don't feel like I did. Yeah, I think that that's probably something we could ask to get to get clarified from Ryan Day, and I I think he would answer that on on Tuesday. Uh, I will say because my my assumption would be that Josh is the sixth guy too. They put Enoch in the game when they're trying to close out what, what at that point was like a 13 or 12 play drive that had gone like 90 yards or something like that. And the first play they called with Enoch in the game was a counter where he and Dewan pulled and Enoch had to like knock out that guy on the line of scrimmage and he did it. He and Dewan made a massive hole for Mayan Williams and Mayan ran for, I think it was 12 yards or 15 yards. Um, so I give Enoch a lot of credit for stepping in there. And them calling his number basically, and and he and he delivered there. So maybe that helps him too if they are in a situation where they want to, even if it's not that. Maybe Luke Whipler plays, but they get up enough that they want to get a guy out early, and then maybe give Matt Jones a little center work. Maybe Enoch showed enough um, in yep. those couple snaps against Notre Dame to to warrant putting him in there first at guard. Well, I know that you know Ryan Day, Kevin Wilson, and that coaching staff. I assume that the same is true for Justin Fry. They really like the upside and the potential for Enoch Vamahi. And when they were able to, when that decision was made, the Vamahi family said, well, he's not going to go on that mission. That was a huge deal uh, mm-hmm. in the Woody. They they think that he's an NFL guard, um, or they have for a while. I don't I don't know if anything has changed on that front. I don't think it has. You know, sometimes it just takes a little bit longer. Uh, Enoch was not the most uh, physically imposing offensive lineman when he got here, and that's a developmental spot. Uh, they, I don't. They've not given up on him in any way, shape, or form. So, if they need him to play guard this year, I think he can do a more than serviceable job of that. Um, I, again, I'm. This was all hypothetically brought up by what may happen. Uh, you know, Luke Whipple or somebody who doesn't need to play a ton against Arkansas State if it's a dicey proposition. Uh, we're talking about a 44 point spread in this game. There's a dramatic talent uh, disadvantage disadvantage for Arkansas State advantage <laughs> for the Buckeyes you know and I made it seem like it would be that easy against Notre Dame last week and it certainly wasn't uh, this is one this is a true tune-up opportunity where you pick the score and you also pick what you need to work on and I think that'll be interesting to see what Ohio State determines that to be on Saturday what do you think we'll see uh, in regards to the defensive line after a game where there was a pretty stark drop off I think once they started getting to like the third string guys not that Arkansas State I think will make Ohio State pay for that necessarily this week or Toledo yeah. next week but Wisconsin will in in three weeks if they I think if they do some of that stuff do you think we see start to see that get pared down a little bit or no because of the opponents they're about to play it probably won't because of the caliber of the opponent I think that they will not be concerned about any sort of drop off uh, from one to two or two to three in this game that Anybody on that team can go out there and, and get a win this week and next week. But I think that's part of the problem in some respects. I think I would like to see Ohio State treat it like it's Notre Dame and try to get it over with as fast as possible. I don't know if they will take that approach or not. I suspect that Jim Knowles will in the back seven. I don't. 
but we'll have to wait and see if he takes more control over that rotation on the defensive line. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I guess I'm skeptical of that until it actually does happen to take that, that duty, that responsibility and Larry Jones, Larry Johnson's approach that he's used for a very long time away or tweak it or whatever. But I mean, I think if you're Ohio state and you're Ryan day, let your starters go play and uh-huh. get as close to that point spread as you can, as fast as possible. And then start, then then play your twos, then play your freshmen, and let them get an evaluation where there may still be Arkansas State starters heavily involved in that game, and and then see what happens. Get more meaningful evaluations out of that. Uh, we'll see. You know, I, I don't. I think they'll just continue to go out and play the guys and say that they're game ready and rotate. That would be my guess, but that's not, I guess, ideally what I would like to watch. Does the fact that because I, I think you and I are on the same page, I think a lot of Ohio State fans are on the same page too. Like that, that defensive line rotation just doesn't work out. It's too, it's, it's too much, um, given the disparity in talent with the with the top guys. Does the fact that Mike Hall started give you <laughs> confidence that maybe that's starting to change? Because I don't, I mean, no, no offense to Larry Johnson, if it was just up to him, I don't think that would have happened. Yeah, I don't think it would have either. I mean, I spring game is a spring game. But this conversation for Ohio State was already going on during spring camp. Uh, and then you saw you know, the, the sort of first unit come out, and you're looking at Jerron Cage and, and Zach Harrison and Javante Jean-Baptiste and going with the upperclassmen, and it didn't matter that it happened in that game. Now, the fact that Jerron Cage, I would have, I would have guessed that he was going to start on Saturday. Mm-hmm. The fact that he did not and that Mike Hall did is a step in the direction. I don't know specifically who made that decision, but if we can say that Larry Johnson has always had control over that unit, I would I would have to assume that he did say, we're going to, my call, earn this, and he's going out there. Uh, until proven otherwise. Because the way that they rotated after that was a pretty clear signal to me that Larry Johnson had his hand on that and was manip- yeah. you know, making that move. That's That's my read on the situation. I think that you and I probably see it the same way yeah we do um i just need like i need more i need more jt i need more I need, <laughs> jt played a lot i need more jack um I, i'm good with zach harrison i think he he's one of their top guys he should be out there um maybe a little more tyleek although i don't i don't know that he had his best game against notre dame um but yeah more more mike hall the better i realize it's a hard position <laughs> and maybe maybe you don't want to play those guys every single snap but i would be in favor of playing mike hall every single snap if he wants to do it yeah, I mean, I and I get that too. I'm not saying that Ohio State should only play four defensive linemen, and I'm not trying to tell a Hall of Fame position coach how to do his job. I just know what I see, and mm-hmm. and there's a drop off, and it is coming in situations where it doesn't make sense to me to not be the maximum amount of aggressive. That was a high leverage situation where the team backed up inside its twenty, like. And this is not the first or second or third or fourth time that that's happened. I just don't understand giving away your advantage. You're going to have to play more than two defensive ends in a game. I certainly understand that. You're going to have to play more than two defensive tackles in a game. Definitely get that. But when they had this conversation about, well, Ohio State can play 12 guys on the defensive line. They can they can go deep into this rotation. That's not true. If you're going to win a national championship, you're not going to play 12 guys against Alabama or Georgia in the national championship game and win mm-hmm. your best players are going to have to win you a championship. And whether I thought Ohio state would blow out Notre Dame or not, that was a top five team that was very well prepared to play in that game. 
and it had championship stakes because if Ohio State lost that game, they'd be fighting an uphill perception battle for the rest of the year and giving away a head-to-head tiebreaker over a team that could theoretically be in that conversation against them. That's the part that's when leave that game. I know I've talked about it in snap judgments and since Saturday night and written about it. Like, I just think that that's something that can't continue to pop up for Ohio state. If they want to reach their true potential, the best players have to get them there. Sounds like a good question for Ryan day on Tuesday afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's a few hours away, not from actually when we're recording this, but from when you all will get it on the podcast in whatever platform you choose uh, we'll be back in there to get ready for game week number two. That's Bill Landis. I'm Austin Ward. We appreciate you as always for joining us on the podcast daily. We will see you tomorrow.